You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> so I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. <laughs> you could just look at her license. My special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. <laughs> it's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. why I drink. When you need someone to listen. A lawyer you know and trust. These are tough times for all of us, but I know that we'll make it through. Standing together, weathering the storm, it's what Americans do best. And it's how we've persevered over previously challenging moments in history. At Bradshaw and Bryant, we're taking all possible steps to protect our clients and our employees. While our attorneys remain committed to the needs of our clients, we will also remain available to you. If at any time you think you may need an attorney, give us a call. We'll be here to answer your questions and lead you down the right path. Together, we'll get through this. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Working harder, going farther, with Mike Bryant on your side, seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we're just going right for the vault, you guys. Last week, we talked a lot about the coronavirus. Now, we're going to help you escape from the misery. Kicking off the show of this comedy cavalcade, we had, well, let's go with Joey Diaz to start things off. One of my favorite of his appearances next on The Best Of. Did we get a contact tie off of that? No, there's no weed in here. (laughs) This is nicotine flavored. No, no. The weed one... They have the, the vapor ones in L.A. with the marijuana, but I don't think they're that strong. Like, they yeah. would get me high in the morning. Not the 12 o'clock. I got to fucking bring in the Calvary. You know what I'm saying? By 12 o'clock, I'm already done 90 bong hits. I'm going to sit there hitting a the vapor like some fucking hippie. The fuck out of here. Bring the bong in here with the good shit. Or you like to boil it down to the oil and then put it in, like, food. No, well, I, I'll cook it. I'll buy it edible, but I don't cook nothing. I'm no baker. They have you people that do all that shit. Yeah, they have the cookies. I ate a brownie yesterday on the plate, and I was fucked up. Really? Oh. <laughs> They're that strong. Oh, I ate a brownie. I couldn't wait for that fucking plane to land last night. Really? I was really? high and fucked. And then I got it. When I landed, I ate a Chibo Chew, which really put me over the top last night. And I had nothing to watch. I ended up watching some shitty Jennifer Lopez movie till one in the morning. My eyes off. Because you can't smoke in this weather. No. Where am I going to smoke? I can't smoke in this weather. Your joint melts. Oh, that's true. I just lit the joint. It just turned off. Even the weed was like, it's too smoke. It's too cold to smoke. I'm going back into seclusion. So I brought some gummy bears with me, like yeah. the, the gummy bears, 70 yeah. milligram THC gummy bears, and a couple fucking Chibo chews, and you pop those in the afternoon, and you're on fire. 
See? And, and away we go. Yeah, well, whatever, whatever I fly, I get fucked up. I'll eat a couple things. And, yeah. Really? Why not? You're on a plane. You yeah, can't go nowhere. Not? Yeah, I know. It's so boring. I've always so heard boring. that you have to be careful with the brownies because... Like people expect to just like eat the brownie and like get high while they're eating the brownie, but it right. takes a while. Right. So there are all these stories of people that like had five pot brownies and then all of a sudden oh, they were no. like rolling no. on the floor crying. Five pot brownie. Yeah, they're like you have to wait like a half hour until. Well, yeah, it's a good. Well, they tell you in California system, you have right? the milligrams on the package. Yeah. So when you buy whatever you buy, it has the milligrams of how much THC is in it. Oh. So the brownie I bought yesterday was three brownies divided by two hundred. Milligrams divided by three, so it's about sixty-three milligrams a piece. That don't do dick to nobody. What? Oh, <laughs> that don't do nothing to nobody no? unless okay. you know, unless you play with flowers and you know you play the flute part time. That'll fuck you up. <laughs> that w- I would probably. Yeah, no, it'll fuck you up. But uh, oh, like man. they have brownies that are five hundred milligrams. That's too much. That's, That's too, too much. much. That'll just take your breath away. Like as it's coming on, you're like. <gasps> And you got to get something to eat. Like Why I've do eaten they have one them of those. So strong? Because there's gorillas out there, like myself. So they don't give a fuck. They just want to see the devil. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I want to see the devil. I don't. Some people want to eat. Understandable. You know, yeah. oh my God, I, I like to be high for a little. No, I want to see the fucking devil. If you're gonna walk on ice, you might as well. Dance. And how long does it last? It's endless. Really. Endless. Oh my it's god. It's twelve, thirteen hours. Really? Oh, that's stronger. too long. As it piles on. Well, you just pass out at six, like I do. I'm fifty. Yeah, so but by that's seven, still too once long. the baby goes to sleep, fuck it. I might as well go baby. to sleep right after. We haven't seen Joey, you know, in eighteen months since then. Yeah. No, we my haven't wife seen had a baby. Long. You're kidding. I have a year old little girl, yeah. So I can't Congratulations. smoke around her. You know, so I don't smoke around the house. No, it's even way before she was born. But sometimes in the afternoon after I get my day done, I eat a little pot cookie. My wife is home. All I got to do is watch Yo Gabba Gabba with her and play with her and shit, you know? I even went to see Yo Gabba Gabba live. You're I got kidding fucked me. up to that, too. Oh, yeah. Was it the worst thing you I ever saw? Yo no, it wasn't bad. Worst. It wasn't that bad. I really? not watch Yo Gabba but, Gabba. But you're 20. You know, I, well, you're fucking dance. 20. Yeah. No, when I, you're a year, when there's a black guy jumping up and down with fucking barn animals, that's interesting. You're fucking 20. You don't even need pot cookies. What the fuck, man? Okay. Get it together. You know what I'm saying? That's why you don't fucking like Yo Gabba Gabba. You need a pot cookie. I like to dance. Everybody, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. It's time to dance. Well, there you have it. catchy. Yeah. You're a fucking nine-month-old kid. And there's a black guy jumping up and down with an orange hat. That's fucking tremendous. <laughs> when you're an adult, you're not supposed to fucking well, a, like that shit. What's I'm supposed a nanny. To like, so we're supposed to, to like Breaking Bad and Puerto Ricans stabbing white people. That's what we're supposed to like. <laughs> That's not what fucking, I definitely. Not fucking See, I thought Yo Gabba Gabba was like a long time. I, you know, it seems like every four years they have like a whole new set of kids. Yo Gabba Gabba's things. pretty new. Yo Gabba Gabba, Team Umi Zumi. <laughs> There. The backyard of that the backyard again. Backyard again. The Dora. secret agent man. I hate Dora so much. Dora, yeah. Dora's been around for a I can, long time. I will get like him and ranch dressing if you get me talking yeah, about Dora, it. Yeah, Dora pisses me the fuck off. <laughs> oh my gosh, that show. <laughs> she, they teach him that fucking that, that book Spanish. They ain't going to do dick for you in the streets. Book Spanish. Yeah, you know, me casa. You got to talk fucking, you got to talk about what pe- Spanish people want to hear. Pineapple juice. And no. Shit like that. <laughs> you know, yes, pineapple we'll go to piña and, and shit like that. <laughs> no, I, I talk to my daughter Spanish on my own. My wife is Irish, so and she's Irish and half American Indian from Tennessee. Okay. So my job was to teach the baby Spanish. When I first came from Cuba, I wanted my parents not to talk Spanish to me. All right. At all. But well, after my mother died, I'm very happy that she taught me Spanish. Right. 
because it's it makes your mind more analytical in a way. So mm-hmm. I I know neighborhood Italian from the neighborhood guys. I know right. Spanish. Oh. I know English. So I wanted my daughter to have the same. So she's like a sponge at this age. Right. So I always talk to her in Spanish all day long. That's so great. Dora ain't gonna do dick for you mm-hmm. when you got the real deal talking to you in Espanol. You know the right. real Spanish. Right. So that's uh. But there's some kid cartoons that are, you know they suck. I mean, they're not all Popeye. When we were kids, what we have? Yeah. Fucking Popeye and the guy chasing the other guy. Yeah. Road Tom and Jerry. That's it. Oh, no, the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Road Runner. Tom, Tom and Jerry. Road Runner. Hey, <laughs> uncle. Tom and Jerry, you <laughs> shit. Her uncle. <laughs> what are you, her uncle? Talking, <laughs> 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 I'm talking. Uh, you know, Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote. Yeah, right, and the Road right. Runner. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the two a... guys chasing each other. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the two Honest, guys. I, I get what you mean. There's a spinoff now of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Really? The tiger oh, from is? Mr. Rogers. Really? Oh, the little yeah. Why puppet. Why moving the camera? Oh. The camera or the, uh, the photographer guy wants me to. Which I like that show. Oh, well, the like photographer guy wants you to move. Daniel Tiger's so Neighborhood. It's Who hosts it? Daniel Tiger. Daniel Tiger. What's going oh. on behind the scenes, ladies and gentlemen, right now, is we're preparing for a photo shoot for Twin Cities Business cover. This is as crazy as a podcast I've been a part of. This is I love it. People moving around. Don Shelby's Merce is in the way. Who's that? His Merce is in the way. His Merce is in the way. How about the Prilosec, Merce? Thank you. Would you like a Prilosec? Do you have right. a little heartburn? No. There are lots heartburn. of Prilosec. I don't get heartburn yet. I don't know why. You're lucky. You're lucky. Because he's unbelievable. not stressed out because he's so high from all the brownies. That's huh? right. See? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you no, I gave up. You can mail me a little brownie. What I started action. doing was they don't have, they have the big shit in L.A., but they also have, like, if you don't want to eat cat cookies or whatever, they have capsules that look like vitamin E. Oh. The three, it's 25 bucks for five of them. That they can't, nobody could tell. They think they're vitamin E. They have everything from. Oh, so it's like a gel cap thing. Yeah, no. and just THC. Just THC, pure yep. THC in a capsule. They have, uh, they have gummy bears. That's like, terrifying. Like, like uh, they have uh, Chibo. You know, California, uh, Colorado, really has it down. Yeah. But Chibo Chew is out of Colorado. What's a Chibo? Chibo Chew is a. Uh, what do you call those things? Tootsie roll. Yeah, Tootsie that's all a Chibo Chew is. It's three calories. It's, they come in 70 milligrams of THC or 175 milligrams. Oh, my God. And they have the gummy bear called the Devil's uh, something, the Green Hornets. Green Hornet. And they'll fucking kill you. They're 70 milligrams. Okay. Now, when you go in you get your little pot card or whatever it's called. Um, you don't need do that anymore. Give you, you? Does that they mean you can just get anything? Like, anything you want. Yeah. Anything. Anything. As high you don't have to THC stay as they like, make it. Yeah, I was you, say, you don't have to stay at some level, level because they think no, that you have a backache. And so I tell people because... don't eat the 500 milligram brand. I even tell the store owners. I'm friends with Auntie Dolores who makes that brand. And I even told her. I called her up and I go, 500 milligrams is a lot. Yeah. I mean, I used to have banana bread that used to kill people. 12 hours. <laughs> kill you. Kill you. This is, and it was 100 milligrams. This is five. Hundred oh milligram. So when it hits you, it overtakes you. Like yeah. oh. you lose your breath and stuff. You're like, what the hell? You gotta get like chicken. You gotta eat something real quick. <laughs> like, awful. It's but once you're there, you're like, wow. Like if you're going to see a concert, the problem that we have that 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 that's really interesting about this is, I had these anxiety pills years ago mm-hmm. that the doctor gave me. I was doing blow back then, like eight years ago. Now oh, that will give you. And anxiety. I have this, and I have yeah. this black friend named Sergio. That he's you know remember that commercial, Mikey. 
Mikey, he, he, had Mikey. Everything. he was Mikey. Mikey. Yeah, yeah. I would go in his pockets and he'd have Mikey. Valiums. He'd have anything. And I would he would eat ten Valiums at a time. I mean this guy oh was the real God. deal. And one day I gave him those those uh one day I gave him those uh, uh anxiety pills and he called me back two days later and he goes, I don't know what you gave me, but it was the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. And I stopped all that shit. I started going to acupuncture. So what I started doing was eating a little bit of marijuana and going to yoga. Doing simple things because the big thing in LA is eating marijuana and going to yoga. You, that changes your whole damn life. Really? You want to see the devil? Oh, you go to a basic yoga class. No. You eat a little piece of, of edible an hour before yoga. Ten minutes into yoga, you're not going to believe that life is so good. Really? You're not going to believe. A I lot. wish you would smoke pot rather and, than take all the stuff and go to yoga. <laughs> I would I'd be much so much happier if smoke you smoke pot. Soon as it's soon we'll as eat it's an Eat an edible, then go. I'd rather people eat a 70 milligram. They even have these things Chibo Chu makes. That's pain relief. You ready for this? They mix 70 milligrams of THC with, uh, what's the aspirin, the popular aspirin? Oh, ibuprofen. Oh, really? So the Advil hits you, and then the THC hits you for pain. It's amazing. It comes in a little blue box. Really? It's amazing what they've done. Colorado (laughs) has taken it to the next level. Yeah, on the news to people who are very conservative, it looks like they're just a bunch of potheads. Like, oh, Colorado, a bunch of potheads. What did it make for the state? Did a lot more for the state than gay marriage did. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so yeah. what are you talking about? Money? What? We're well, talking about the bottom line. What do you do? Yeah, you guys get married to have a party right. and get socks and shit like that. Right. I'm talking about a million a day. This is what we need. Right. Now, me, I could care less whether you legalize or not. I'm going to still smoke it like I own it. You want to throw me in jail? <laughs> well, they didn't have throw all those products. They didn't have all those products before right. they I could care less. I mean, it's it will, it's 2014, yeah. and people are taking pictures with their phone, and you still don't want to. You're still mad because people smoke pot. Show me the fucking Bible. Where did <laughs> fucking Jesus smoke fucking pot? Where does it say not to smoke pot in there? The Ten Commandments, you see any fucking thing there? So what are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? Me, I'm not a junkie, but I like... Just tuning out from time to time. You ever smoke a half a joint and put on a fucking iPod? And then you young guys put on Pink Floyd, Animals. It took and changes your fucking life. He's don't the it? authority. Okay then. He's the okay then. With a cup of coffee. You don't need to eat, take heroin or do blow or no. eat Valiums. Just take two hits off a fucking number and put on Pink Floyd Animals and call me in the morning, bitch. <laughs> call me in the fucking morning, bitch. If that don't change your life. Andy, why don't we take a break here? Be right back. In about a minute and a half moment, Joey. Coco I got emotional. Diaz. I'm sorry. I love it. I love every minute. I love you. We're learning about, uh, we're talking medicine. <laughs> is that what we're talking about? Fucking testosterone. Is that, it's yeah, the biggest lie in the, in the country right now. You help you recover. You help you do this. It's just a huge money maker. It's a huge money maker. Yeah. I swear to God, my my red blood cells doubled. Like I had to go drain blood for three you weeks. Took testosterone. I took testosterone and the hard on. I you know, it was fuck. I couldn't even think. I had to whack off at airports. I had to whack off on fucking planes. I'm a grown man. You know what it is to whack off on a fucking airport in a, in a plane bathroom when you don't even fit. I don't even fit. You got to jerk off cappuccino style, like little breaths and shit. You got to like whack it this way in the bathroom and come on your palm like a fucking. The fuck. So everybody's on testosterone. Watch what's going to happen in this country. All these little skinny motherfuckers go on testosterone and start fucking each other in the muffler and shit pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> you see this shit? That was so horny. I'm so happy I'm off it. I just get, I get 
protein powder from Hemp Force now, and I put glutacore in it, and I do kettlebell class. I'm still waking up with a heart on, which is the whole goal of this fucking story. Right. Correct? That's the whole thing. Absolutely. When you have testosterone, the first thing the doctor says to you is, how are your morning erections? You know, oh, I don't get one. I'm a fucking skinny scrunt or whatever the fuck you are. Right. But that's what they base it on. That's how they, they know testosterone's working. That that your dick gets hard in the morning when you wake up. That's sure. what they ask you. Right. Are you still getting erections in the morning? Testosterone's oh, working. Then you're okay. That's all that testosterone's about. It's about getting your dick hard. <laughs> it's not about recovering or, you know, looking better or avoiding diabetes. That's all for fucking, you know, that's, the, that's what they tell show. you. Yeah, it's, it's all for show. It's all for show. Like your mama's stabbing. <laughs> you know, I've yeah, got to hand it to you. I've never not heard Don Shelby for so long in my life. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just in awe. I'm sorry. I'm, totally I'm just emotional. in awe. Didn't this. I tell you? I, yeah. I got emotional yeah. today. No, I'm sorry. Joey. I'll oh tell my you. god. Don was a TV anchor. He's a big TV anchor for like 40 years. We have a call too. 33 years and uh, who's on the phone? Yes. Mike from Blaine. Me. Was it Mike? Okay. Oh. Um, You'll have fun with him. So he comes on the podcast. You know, he's got to behave on TV. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the news. He comes to this podcast, spends his entire day, every day, telling people to go fuck themselves. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> Isn't it the best feeling? I don't know what's better, praying or telling somebody to go fuck yourself. It's the same difference. You go home and take the 20 off all this. Let's pray for, you know, Tom Bernard. Let's pray. And then Please you say to yourself, pray more. tell somebody to go fuck themselves. You feel so much better about yeah. yourself in life. On the way home, when you're driving, you're like, I just told that motherfucker to go fuck himself. Especially when for 40 years you've been stuffing that. Oh, you've been stuffing it. Oh, stuffing oh, it. Yeah. So many people I wanted to go tell them to go fuck themselves. And now Tom's given me this opportunity. And God bless him. God bless now, we him. God bless did him. we play the mashup on... No, we Andy haven't played the Andy Dick. Oh, you know, it's right. really Do you funny want to play how it on the show. I'd love to hear. It's it. really well, funny the growth of the podcast. We might as well. The growth okay. of the podcast oh, is yeah. because oh, yeah. people got fed up. Like right now, if you came to me and offered me a TV show, unless you gave me a lot of money, I'm very content right. with my podcast. No, I understand. I'm very content with going on there and speaking my mind. You know, when seven years ago when I got off the drugs, I stopped doing blow. One of the like after the first thirty days, I was like in this fog. You know. And something dawned on me that part of my addiction was living in Hollywood all those years and not being able to tell somebody to go suck my dick. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Especially in the, in, in, the, in the fucking, in that world that we're in. Because right away they think because they're a director, just because they have a fuzzy hat and a little tattoo and a Sinatra hat, that they could tell you. How, and I swore right there. I never forget. Like, I didn't go to a rehab or anything. I made a promise to myself. I made a promise to my cat. The dying cat that's still alive, super bad though. Wasn't still it? alive. Still alive. Wow, my wife just amazing. gave him a bath. He got caught in the fucking flute over the holidays from the fireplace. And oh, he's black. Flute. He's oh. white, but he's black. He had a black. Oh, he mohawk. went up the chimney. Yeah, he went up the <laughs> chimney. Little, Crazy. I love this cat. And I, and I made a promise I wasn't going to snort coke if he lived. And he ended up living. And I, I didn't get high. But uh, like 30, 40 days after, I got this. this, this uh, uh, view of whatever they call it, like an epiphany. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it was that before I was a comedian and before I was went to jail and before I did all those things, I was a man. And from that day forward, you had to treat me like a man in Hollywood. Well, I was going to tell you to go fuck yourself. And Joe loves me, but Joe knows not to put certain people around me. Oh, I can see Because that. I will tell him, do me a favor, get the fuck out of the room. You got five to get out of the room. Because <laughs> I don't need you in this fucking room. I really yeah, don't. You're surrounded you today. Know? And, and you know, if you work oh, in that yeah. business, yeah. that you get to that point about certain people. 
you get to that point in your life with certain people, you're like, you know what? I took shit from you for a long fucking time. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you to get the fuck out of this room. You got five minutes. Well, I'm going to call 911. Yeah. And then I'm going to break your fucking head with a pipe. <laughs> and then we're going to have even more fucking problems. And that's how I am now. Like, it, it's kind of weird how I've become. Like, my yeah. career has done a lot better since oh, yeah. I took that attitude. Because I was listening to people, I was taking shit from people, and I was taking it and, and swallowing it. Oh, yeah, it eats you up inside out. It eats you up. It makes oh, you want to go home and kill yourself. And I remember I did a, a Carl's Jr. commercial, and the director had no brakes on the car. And I, and I tried to stop the car, and I got out, and he goes, the thing is moving, stupid. And I called the timeout, and I fucking went off on this guy oh. in front of the cast. I called him a fucking motherfucker. Don't you ever call me stupid? You didn't tell me nothing about the fucking thing. And that was the friend. The other actor came up to me and goes, Joey, they're going to fire you. I go, if he fires me, then he's going to have to suck my dick. Watch. I'm going to make him suck my dick at 2 in the morning right here. And he didn't fire me. And so today we're friends. You know why we're friends? Because you stood up. Because I stood up to him. That's right. And he told me like a year later. He goes, that night made me realize that I was dealing with a man. I wasn't dealing with a kid no more. These fucking idiots in Hollywood. What you just said. You Guys know, are like that. You, you have catch to, each other you know, out, and then your best friends you like right to, afterwards. You know, I just watched the. I'm not a big TV guy, but I just watched the season finale of Sons of Anarchy. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you watch the season finale? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was the the, the CC Pounder speech to to him was beautiful, and it's what I thought. He goes before all this with the colors and the motorcycle. You're a fucking man, and you got to own it, motherfucker. Right. And this life, if you're not a man, you don't own it. You're missing this fucking life. And for a long time, I wasn't owning it. I wasn't owning who I was and my position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll send you a tape. Fuck you. What have you done to deserve a tape from me? Right. I agree. If you know, you know, for years, the comedy clubs would say, "Send me a tape." They don't look at them. It's just a power thing. Do you know? For years, I would send motherfuckers blank tapes, and I get high. <laughs> you know Chelsea Handler's demo tape? The first one she sent out was her getting fucked in a washer dryer. <laughs> Did you know that? It's still going no, out right now. It's still going out right now. That does not surprise me. No. She had a demo <laughs> tape that at the end of the tape, it was her doing four minutes of comedy. And the end of the tape, remember years ago they were talking about a sex, a Chelsea Handler's yeah, sex yeah, tape? Yeah. Remember years ago? Yeah. And she said, stupid, I sent it out myself, you dumb well, motherfuckers. Of she made a sex tape and was sending it out to industry. Of her fucking, like her doing comedy for three minutes, then it went to her on top of a washing machine getting fucked. <laughs> and she got work, so. <laughs> yeah, that's what it takes in Hollywood. So it's that's true. Everything's changed since I owned it, especially the land where I live at, where they'll take advantage of you. You know it. You sure. know they'll take yeah. it. You know, they do yeah. it with everything. Yeah, I just did grudge match. Yeah. Was I not in the trailer? Was yeah. I not in the fucking yeah. trailer? Yeah. Right. Guess what? They wanted me to pay to go to my own premiere in New York. Are you what? kidding me? Fucking pay to go to my own premiere in New York. Oh, I had to call my attorney and say, what the fuck is wrong with you that fucking communist psycho. motherfuckers? Yeah. Is he not in the trailer? Yeah. Then why is he paying? Right. But that's the level that they'll push you. Yeah. You know, SAG, the Screen Actors Guild now, has these movies that are $100 a day. Well, are you fucking kidding me? We grew up to go to acting class. Now we have movies that pay $100 a day. That's 80 after. That's 70 after taxes. And you still got to pay a commission. Jesus. That's crazy. You know, there's so many things that people have accepted over the years. And now you just have to step up, bitch. You know, I got to ask you about that because Catherine and I talk, you know, my radio career will be over sooner or later, you know, another couple of years maybe. And we're talking about moving here, moving there, whatever. 
I would love to move to California, but how the goddamn taxes out there? Taxes are high. They're just horrible. Crazy. How can, how can you even make a li- I mean, they're bad, they're bad here. They're really bad. Taxes too. are bad there, bro. They take oh, half. And then the SAG wants a point and a half of what you make every year. And then your agents want 10 points. And that's why you got to get two guns. You got to get three fucking guns. <laughs> you don't have to pay anybody on your podcast money. No. No. But they'll try. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they haven't gone after. So, you know, I had a manager two years ago that she was a friend, and I asked her to help me, and she goes, okay. And then I was doing a little better with the comedy, and I asked her one day. I said, hey, I'm doing this show at the Laugh Factory. Some people coming. Why don't you come? She goes, ooh. She goes, I have a hockey game to watch tonight. The, the Devils or whatever team were in the championships, the L.A. Kings, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I hung up the phone, and about a week or two later, the CD came out. And it became number one. Mm-hmm. And her boss called me like a month later. And she goes, oh, we need to go to the record from iTunes to collect our commission. And I go, what are you talking about? And they go, because the iTunes thing is number one and we want to collect our commission. I go, let me ask you a question. Tell me one of my jokes. Oh, yeah, there you go. And she goes, I can't. I go, then why the fuck would I pay you something? Really? I'll pay you nothing. I'm not going to pay you for the podcast. I'm going to pay you for nothing. If you don't make your money with me, I don't give you dick. Well, yeah, if they're not promoting it or helping no, 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 you. No, no, no. I don't even way. have a manager for that reason because all the manager does in L.A. is charging you 15% to take a call from your agent, your commercial agent, from your booking agent. Right. Yeah. So, hey, I got you a week in Minneapolis. Write it down. We're really rocking. Yeah, for 15%. Yeah. I'd be fucking rocking, too, if you gave me 50% to call you. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so now you want to work, bitch, you got to earn it. You know, yeah, that's, for that's years, the way. Yeah, yeah. We've done this. They're very, uh, they think that they get a piece of everything. You know, grudge match, I got on my own. Really? You got me that. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. They called me in. Right. And then I kept going in and auditioning and banging that. Then they called me after like eight auditions. But I got that on my own. I did the, the longest yard with Peter Seagull. Right, right. It was a no-brainer. He was at home. He said he needed a fat guy. They saw a commercial <laughs> of me making pizza. Yeah, yeah, making pizza. Go daddy. Go daddy. And he yeah. brought me in. And that's it. You know, it wasn't that an agent fought for me. Or, no. They didn't put a breakdown on that movie. So it's so weird how in life you realize everybody wants your fucking money. But you really got to stick to your guns to... So unless it's a SAG outfit that you're working for, you don't you don't, you don't have to run the money through it. No, I always okay. work for SAG. I'm yeah. on the union. So yeah. I always got to work Screen Actors Guild. So, right. yeah, I do everything through SAG. Okay. You know what Dom Herrera told me? Dom was here a couple of months ago. Did you go all the way back in the offices? All the way back in no, there? No, no, There's like a sitting area with a bunch of TVs, and Dom was sitting back there. It was before Christmas. Just a great guy. Great guy. Nicest guy in the world. And he said... This area looks like the fucking Ponderosa. So that area back there is called the Dom Herrera Ponderosa. But you know what he told me, which I found interesting? We talked about it on the podcast. He said, you know, back in the old days when Johnny Carson was around and blah, 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 you go on Johnny Carson, he, he, it made you. You you know, if Johnny Carson liked you, you were made, and you had it made for a long, long time. He said, now, and he said, I'm telling you the absolute truth, if I go on David Letterman, Jay Leno, whatever, it's okay. If I go on Joey's show, Joe Rogan's show, Adam Carolla's show, it's huge. It's huge. He said the podcasts are all that matters. The TV shit doesn't huge. even matter anymore. Nothing. Really? That's what he said. He Nothing. said it doesn't even matter anymore. That's amazing. I did an episode of Mark Maron's Yeah, Mark Maron's another podcast. one. Yeah. I got more from that podcast. I got more from that podcast because Joe Rogan's people listen to him that are road people. Yeah, people on the road. Yeah, Mark Marin, Adam Carolla listened to by the industry. Right, right. Yes. The, the response I got. To, in fact, I'm shooting Marin 
yeah, Monday, yeah. Tuesday, and Wednesday show. because of that interview. Wow. Okay, because of that interview, I got yeah. voiceovers, I had meetings, somebody cast me in a movie from the Domerere, uh, from the, it's amazing what happens with these podcasts today. You, nothing happens on a TV show. No, I said no. you go on Tonight Show now, it doesn't even matter. Who's up at 11.45? <laughs> You, well, you stay up to watch Conan, I mean, there's, really? There's so many talk <laughs> right, shows now. Right. So who's, you know, who's and they up? just all run the circuit, and it's like, it's who's the up? same old person all The know. money is from 9 to 5. And the money is people who are on computers. Yeah. That's your yeah. number one money right now. Yeah, that's true. You know, the album, this new CD I got is number yeah. four. Not because I'm the funniest guy in the world, that's but because good. I make my living from 9 to 5. Mm. I make my living with the IT people. Uh-huh. I make my living off IT people. I make my living off uh-huh. accountants, people that are in their office from 9 to right. 5 with earplugs on. My wife is the accountant at the Hollywood Bowl, and she tells me stories. She goes, the people in my IT department know more about you than I do. Yeah, oh, They yeah, know about absolutely. your day more than I do. She'll say to me, oh, you had to go to the dentist today. You didn't tell me because <laughs> yeah. you said it on the podcast this right. morning. Yeah. You know, the baby's sick. How'd you know? Because Joey said on the podcast. So it's amazing. The, the audience that we have is 9 to 5. You record every day? Two days a week. Two days a week. That's the most that I think my audience could tolerate. And you do charge for your podcast? No. 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 Okay. I just have sponsors. Okay. And then I just sell like t-shirts us. in there. And, you know, you do all... I don't like taking... Even when I was doing blowing, I was a horrible junkie. I didn't have the balls to sell you a t-shirt after a show. No? Yeah. No. Yeah, I yeah, didn't, Even yeah. if I knew I needed $50 to get a Coke rock, I would not sell a t-shirt. I don't have the balls to... Yeah. yeah. I don't have... I'll mug you. <laughs> I'll put a gun to your neck, you know what I'm saying? But I, you can't hug nerve. a t-shirt. I, I appreciate that you already came out yeah. and did a show. And right. I'm going to bang yeah. you on the back like a, like a fucking mutt. I'm going to sit there, hey, you're going to for 20 hours with a CD. Sell them online. There's a time and a place for everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that, was, that, that works for me. It doesn't, works differently for a lot of other comics. It doesn't work for me. You see how, I, how outspoken I am, but I can't sell something after a show. No, I understand I'm that, embarrassed. Right. I understand yeah. that, though. I, I really know how do. hard people work but for money. But some people really want to have, you know, a piece sure, of memorabilia from the shirt. night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, always, I should sell shirts or, like... The city that I'm at, you know, I'm yeah. just, uh, I'm just so embarrassed. I'll tell my, I'll go order on the shirts. Not your thing. It's not my thing. Then I'll, free, I'd rather just take pictures with you, yeah. and do that because the least shit I have is the least stuff I have to think about. I just want to think about doing stand up. Yeah. That's all I want to think about is doing stand up. Yeah, and then you have to cart them around with you. And all yeah, I don't want to think yeah. about nothing yeah. else. I just want to give the people the best show I could give them, you know, yeah. and then that makes sense. You know what I love is that the, what are you? Oh, Andy's playing oh, with I the dog. Um, when people come in, <laughs> they tell me, I said, so what have you been up to? Oh, I've been up to this, that, and the other thing. Uh, Joey called me to be on his uh, podcast. I said, oh, yeah, that must have been funny. He goes, yeah, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. I said, you like to do it at like 5 o'clock Six. in the morning? Six. Six. I want, I want to get to you before <laughs> anybody else gets to <laughs> Listen, man, this is, there's a, it, it, it's, it's, everything has to have a plan. It has to be thought out. I did a podcast with Felicia for a year and a half. Yeah, it didn't do time. anything. It didn't do anything? It moved us a little bit, really? but it didn't take us this much. It didn't do nothing because we were editing it. We were living in 1980. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, we're doing too many things that people don't People don't want to hear with everything. People, this is an experience. People get to know you on the podcast. Yeah. They buy yeah. your albums. Now they want to meet you or listen to you, and they want to come and pay for the experience. Now they want to give you $20 and come see your ticket and shake your hand. So it's an experience, you know, and I understand that. Right. You know, I, I said this once in front of Artie Lang, and he goes, Howard Stern's been saying it for years. His job is to get to you first. 
Yeah. There's a, listen, there's a 2,000 comics that are very funny that actually sit down and write and I'm a monologist and have stuff to tell, unlike me. I just tell dirty stories and I'm a dirty guy, but I tell you the truth. Right. And that's something that a lot of motherfuckers don't have the heart to tell you. Right. And some people don't want to hear the fucking truth anyway. So I know that there's a lot of competition out there. We all have the same product we're selling. How can I sell it to you before that? Right. Six in the morning. You know what comics are doing at six? They're fucking sleeping, dreaming about their next T-shirt or their mind fuck. Yeah. At 4.45, I'm already cleaning cat litter boxes. I got coffee on. I'm feeding the fucking cats. You know, my life is starting early. I write jokes, and I want to get you at 6, which is 9 o'clock Eastern time. You watch right, the news in the morning. Yeah, that's true. When you put the news in the morning, what do they tell you? Snowstorm in Minneapolis. Then after the fucking thing, what do they start telling you about the teacher that raped somebody, the two parents that got shot, the fire that killed four? Yeah. Fuck that. No American could start that day right. with that shit in their fucking mind. I agree. No American should be making breakfast, listening to a 10 year old that got molested by the soccer coach again. So when I get on there at 6 o'clock, I talk about. We get on there, I come out with music, I come out smoking reefer, and I'm talking about the things you can't fucking do. You know, when you watch Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen is some religious freak to some yeah. people. But to me, when I watch, and I'm not saying I'm a religious freak, I get a kick out of Joel Osteen because he never mentions God. He just sells you to be a better person. He's telling you, get up, wash your pussy, and cut the shit, you dumb motherfucker. You know these people that sit there all day and tell you how bad their life is yeah, and all this yeah. shit? When I'm walking to the bathroom, I'm thinking the same thing as you people. When I take my dick out to pee that first pee, I'm thinking about getting on the road and get on the 101 and how bad day is going to be and, and all this shit. But by the time I wash my pussy, I'm in that shower and I'm scrubbing and I'm thinking, and all of a sudden I catch myself and I go, what the fuck was I thinking? It's time to grab my fucking balls and get out there and make a motherfucker pay for me for getting up at 6 in the morning. That's when you think like a Jew. At 6 in the morning, I'm thinking like a Jew. I'm going to stab a motherfucker in the neck and take his yarmulke. And that's how you have to think. And if you're not thinking like that, you're going to be one of those motherfuckers that talks about how bad the economy is, how Obama is insurance. Who gives a fuck about Obama? You got to get up and make money and stab a motherfucker and go shopping. That got nothing to do with Obama. Got nothing to do with Obama. So stop blaming that fucking poor black guy. Stop it. You know, everything we blame everything on everybody else but ourselves. And that's all I'm trying to do. Is get up, bitch, get your fucking life together, do some jumping jacks, get a cup of coffee, scratch your balls and sniff your fingers <laughs> and realize why God put you on this fucking planet, you worthless motherfucker. <laughs> and salute the flag. Nobody salutes the flag no more either. I do. You got to get up in the morning, salute the flag with one hand on your cock and one hand like that and say, America, I love you, motherfucker. I like it. I love you, motherfucker. I love it. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. That was Joey Diaz from episode 363, in reminding us of the simpler times. Coming up next, we had comedian Jim Gaffigan on the program back on episode 202. Next on The Best Of. No other will do. Gaffigan's calling, by the way. Because, oh, good. well, you know what? I can get to that later then because yeah. we can take care we, of that. We should talk to him. You think we should talk to Jim Gaffigan <laughs> when he calls in? Hey, yeah, I'm sorry I'm late. You're Bastard. not late. You're not late. We're, we're rolling, man. 
Really? Oh, good. <laughs> this is a this is a podcast. You can tell us to go f ourselves if you no, want. Oh, don't okay. do that. Well, I don't want to make anyone wish because I'm a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the very talented, uh, lovely and talented, I should say, Jim Gaffigan. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> You're quite welcome. You seem very laid no, back. Sorry, agrees. He agrees. I'm, not I'm hiding in another room right now from the chaos, which is uh, my everyday life. Oh, yeah. Are you at home? I'm at home. Oh, yes. There's nothing to hide from you. Five lovely children, a beautiful wife, who, by the way, does not follow me on Twitter. I was deeply hurt. You do, but she does not. Your wife is a very talented woman, by the way. She is. She's, you know, I, I, you know, I've never met your wife, but um, I have the type of wife when people see me with her, there's always the audible, wow. <laughs> like, she might be blind. Wow. I like to think that's what happens here, too. I'll, uh, I'll give you an example, Jim. Ka- oh, by the way, there's Catherine, Catherine, Jim, Jim, Hi, Catherine. Jim. Andy, of course, is with us, my son, who, uh, when he met you backstage, I believe it was at the State Theater, you at State of the Orpheum, I can't remember. But you signed, you signed a poster that said, Andy, I'm glad to see you're finally out of prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like he remembers. Yep. Well, here's one thing that I'm sure you'll never forget is one of my sister's friends brought you a thing of Hot Pockets design. Never happened before, never, right? Never, never before. before. So I remember that one moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honest to God. Uh, so very quickly what you're talking about, Jim. So, yeah, Catherine is, a, is, is a very genie-like. Let me say that. Genie-like? As far as position, uh, oh. uh, appearance is like, concerned. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, Jim's Jim's wife is a lovely woman. Her name's Jeannie. Oh, I thought you for those like, that don't Jeannie, know, Jeannie. I was like, Andy oh. didn't know. Oh, so now sorry about that. I so thought, now we've got it cleared up. I thought it. No, sorry, I heard Jeannie the entire time. Uh, <laughs> in any case, <laughs> whatever the situation is, but uh, I played in a golf tournament with a young guy a couple of years ago, and uh, he had I'd never met him before. But he said, "Why don't we have a little dinner after the after the tournament?" And I said, "Yeah, great." He said, "Why don't we invite our wives?" And I said, great. So obviously not having met me before, he uh, he hadn't met Catherine either. So he and I got there. Uh, his wife got there first. She sat down, and a couple minutes later, Catherine walked in, and the guy out loud said, huh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thank you so much. Yeah. it's You know, it's flattering, but it's, it, it, it's so flattering it reaches the point of, you know, I'm not, you know, Sasquatch. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not that hard to look at. It's flattering. I uh, was just looking as a matter of. Oh, by the way, congratulations on Amazon. Uh, your your book, Dad is Fat, is doing very well. The reviews are tremendous. I'm sure you've seen that. Well, thank you, thank you. Number five on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm, good you you. are wow. a New York Times nice. bestseller. That is fantastic. Now the literary world, I've always enjoyed myself. <laughs> you and F. Scott Fitzgerald, and uh, you know William Faulkner. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're always hanging out. <laughs> Actually, that yes was very uh, Garrison Keeler. That's what I was going to say. That sounded just <laughs> like him there. Yes, yes, indeed. But yeah, I uh, I was looking at the the uh, book today. As a matter of fact, I think uh, the the picture of you on Dad is fat is is quite fetching, actually. Oh well, thank you, thank you. It's uh, the whole idea is you know it's a nice photo, and my son, that's my son's handwriting, which is the uh, 
the inspiration for the title was um, the first sentence that my son, who's now seven, that he wrote was, Dad is fat. <laughs> then I, of course, put him up for adoption. <laughs> and so, then there were four. We, we did that nice photo and then uh, had him recreate the Dad is fat. So. <laughs> So this, and he wrote this where? Did he write it in school? Did he write it at home? He, he wrote it at home on a dry erase board. <laughs> there's all these, there's, you know, it's the dry erase board. I'm like, that's that's a technology that would never exist in my household, you know, because someone would immediately use a non-dry erase marker on it. So. Sure. That'd be the end of it. Yeah. Throw it away. No, nah, it's very, very true. So, so did you find that flattering at first? I mean, the first time you saw it, because uh, I think I related to you on the KQ Morning Show a couple of weeks ago that a friend of mine uh, went on vacation with his family, and his son, who was, I believe, four years old at the time, drew a little picture of the family on the beach, and he says, look, Dad, look at the picture of our family on the beach. So it's mom, the daughter, and the son. Now, down in the lower left-hand corner of the poster, there's a little square drawn, and inside that square is a stick figure of a man and uh, a, an arrow pointing the stick figure that says Dad, D-A-D, but above the, uh, above the square is a sign that says Bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so... And Catherine, you should tell Jim your your wonderful story about our wonderful children, Andy and Alex, what they did to you. Uh, when I heard about your title for your book, I was like, oh, God, he beat me to it, because I always thought that I should write the book when Andy said, Mom, your butt is blubbery. <laughs> uh, that's nice. I don't remember this. You know, my, my, three, my now four-year-old, uh, Jeannie's mom, was here, and she asked her right in front of me why, uh, she asked her grandmother why she had witch hands. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and uh, you know, oh god! So <laughs> I might not get over Kids. that. Kids, uh, why do you have witch? Hands? <laughs> why do you have witch hands? Yeah. By the way, Andy, you were you said that to me while I was cooking dinner for you, and I thought I have to feed this little bastard. <laughs> well, yeah. Was I like two? Now you have to feed them. Yeah, I know. You're cooking for him, and then they insult you. I think you were like six. You you were at whatever height you would be when you were like butt high. Oh, right <laughs> so you, you were waiting for dinner, and you just yeah. I was told by I the way. That from you. Uh, I was told by the way, Jim, that before he said to her, "Your butt is blubber." And Catherine, <laughs> Catherine and Jeannie are built very much the same. How tall is Jeannie? She's I guess five seven. Yeah, Catherine's like five nine, yeah, but built very in a very similar. She doesn't have an extra ounce of. Uh, I'm not that blubbery. Maybe a little <laughs> tiny blubbery, yeah, but so. not that blubbery. But apparently, what Andy did, she she neglected to tell you this part, is that as he walked up to her at four years old or five years old, or whatever, he started punching her butt cheeks like a speed bag. <laughs> nice. I probably I got didn't it from say a cartoon. Speed bag, my dear. There was no speed bag. He just threw that in there. Thanks, thanks. Uh, the visualization uh, now of my ass is just priceless. Yeah. <laughs> my wife is like my wife is like a genetic anomaly. Like it doesn't make sense. I look like I've had more children. Than she <laughs> There's no reason, and she'll be like, she'll eat as much as she'll eat only at night. And it's, she's like, oh, I'm so out of shape, and I'm just trying to struggle to put on my socks. 
I know it's the same way, and of course they they look at you and it's like, well, uh, you know, I really wish you'd cut back. It's like, do you be quiet as you're downing everything in yeah. sight that you want to eat? Yeah, That's you're like, it's either this or feel my feelings. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, said oh, you don't like the angry me. <laughs> That's very true. We oh, by the way, and, uh, I, I should mention this. It might get back to you actually, so I wanted to mention this to you. There was a list of the ten funniest people in America, and I don't know if you saw the list or not, but Will Ferrell was voted the funniest man in America, and then it was like Tina Fey, and then it was like Chris Rock or whatever. And I did point out that the list has no credibility whatsoever because because you didn't you weren't number one, and secondly because Tom Papa was not on the list at all. And I'm very upset because if it weren't for Tom Papa, I don't know we'd be having this conversation. Tom Papa is definitely the most underrated. Yeah. Like he, I did a benefit for my uh, my daughter's school, and uh, of course with their tuition, they need the money, but. Uh, <laughs> private school where they're like can you also do this I'm like what are you doing are you burning is there like a uh, you know a garbage can filled with money that you're burning what are you doing with all this anyway so but Tom Papa went on and it's you know you're talking about like being a dad and doing it in the manner that he does and it was he was really hard to follow like he was and he's clean and it's, yeah. it's not nasty. It's not shocking. He's really, he's gotten so good. And it's, you know, we're in this era where clean is kind of supposedly, um, you know, uncool. But he is amazing. He's an amazing comedian. I had heard, Jim, by the way, that you, and I don't want to point out his Louis' age or anything, but, but you have been a big admirer of Louis Anderson's for quite some time. I have. I You know, I, you know, Louis is uh, one of those guys that before I did stand-up, I would see him on these Showtime specials talking about his family and just his... Uh, there's a droll kind of laconic you know, cynicism to him that mm-hmm. is... I mean, it's timeless, that material of that special. I haven't seen it in probably 15 years, but it stayed with me. You know, just his attitude, like, you don't even know you were in a car, did you? And I guess maybe it's <laughs> Midwestern. He has kind of that kind of uh, complaint, but, like, I don't want to be rude attitude. You know, I love Louie. He's so funny. I uh, remember the first time he was ever on. Louie, I should mention, is a, is an, uh, family, he's been a family friend for, God, 30 years. Something. He's from Minnesota, obviously. So uh, uh, Louie's been a family friend for years and years and years. And I remember the first time he was ever on The Tonight Show. And he walked out on stage and said, I just want you to know I'm between meals. It was, yeah. He killed with that line. Yeah. It just it's so brilliant stuff. And it's not like he beats himself to a pulp. He just makes observations about himself that are just very, very funny. Yeah, yeah. And there's, it's, I don't know, it's weird. Maybe I just came back from Kansas City, and there's, so maybe I'm on this Midwestern kick, but I think that there's, he, he captures kind of this, this civility of a Midwestern, like as negative as you can be as a Midwestern, like, look, I'll be polite, but I want to kill you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I know I should, but I'm going to strangle your baby. You know, 
<laughs> yes, exactly. I, I shouldn't. But yeah, I mean, guys like yourself and Tom Papa and Louis Anderson, it, uh, we sit around quite, quite often and talk about the fact that, uh, you know, we, we go see a lot of comedy because we have a lot of comedians on, on the KQ Morning Show and on the podcast and, and all the rest of it. So we go see a lot of young up-and-coming comedians and just... You know, we won't get too deeply into the area because it's not your style at all. But I, I get really tired of hearing masturbation jokes. I really do. Well, you know, it's weird. It's like, look, I'm, you know, we're all adults here. You know, it's, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that people should walk around with shame for having done it. But I don't think we need to hear people describe it. You know, it's... Right. There's something, and there's something about it where I just... I, you know, why do we, you know, why do we need to hear that? What is, are we breaking a taboo? I mean, I, you know, as a teenager, I thought it was insane because they did it, but it's like, <laughs> do we really need to hear people discuss it? I don't know, but I think that, uh, obviously, irreverence is like liberty. It's this shifting kind of uh, goal line that people try and kind of, sprint across all the time but half the time I think that you know and there are great shock comedians but uh, yeah, you know, that's funny because that topic for me too I'm just like really do we need to hear that do we you know like do we need to hear about farts what are we in 8th grade <laughs> there will always be teenagers so <laughs> you know I mean it's like look it's funny when you're with a bunch of buddies or hanging out or there's the awkwardness of an intimate moment with some family members or something but it's like not on stage you know I don't know well it just seems to me that and I guess my my, my ultimate question was does it make it harder for, for guys like you and, and Tom and Louie is it harder or do you find it easier because uh, it's just it's very honest comedy what you do is a very very honest form of comedy is it making well, it harder or easier? I don't think it necessarily. I used to, you know, I, I used to dread following someone that was really dirty, but because um, you know, I think that people, um, you know, it's like as, as in essence, we really are animals, and we, you know, blood and lust, you know, <laughs> violence and lust are really what kind of these animal instincts, and so once you introduced violence or or you know lust to a uh, to a, particularly men that's all they want to talk about you know like people will go to that point in the conversation but i do think that it's you know i think comedians just do what they they're supposed to do so like the people that are you know like lewis black should be yelling and complaining and right. tom papa and i should be kind of uh talking about these small stuff you know and david cross should be uh doing what he's doing and i think people should be doing their thing and i think people get too much credit and too much criticism really for either being clean or dirty like people are like oh they have a foul mouth it's like i've talked to them on stage that's that's really their personality and right yeah they you know it makes you know it feels you know you know, some of it is, it's it's like a family culture. Like, are you the type of person that could stand in front of a crowd of people and say something shocking? Or are you somebody where it would it would be kind of awkward? I don't know. That's no, I understand exactly. I, I understand exactly. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> I 
figured it all out. <laughs> and you mentioned Louis Black. He's another one. And I guess I shouldn't go on and on about the, the, who my favorites are, but I just... He's just brilliant at what he does. Again, just uh, I, I Louis Black is amazing to me. But I do want to, if you don't mind, talking about your 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 childhood a bit. If that's okay sure. with you, Chesterton, Indiana. Yeah. Okay, what is La Lumiere School? That sounds very high tone, Jim. Well, it was a small Catholic school. There's, there's uh, the harmonica is my kids are coming in. <laughs> it, it they found you like uh, a jamboree session it, yeah. that's all right they're more than welcome um but i uh Lalamere was this small school i went to a high school of a hundred students so man and that's for you know freshmen through seniors so i didn't really have everyone was the nerd and everyone was the jock and so there really wasn't the the stereotypical John Hughes characters in my high school, which was probably good. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, I don't know. You know, I grew up in a small town that, you know, nothing was in the entertainment industry. I mean, we had a marching band, that's about it. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it was kind of a, you know, it's Indiana, but it's not like I grew up on a farm or anything. It was more of, you know, a, a rust belt kind of area. So. Did they see your talent as uh, a young Catholic school kid and try to talk you into the priesthood? <laughs> no, it was it was not a real you know uh, it was not like the nun sitting people with rulers kind of Catholic school. It was it was formed by Catholic lay people, which I don't know. You know, there was a lot of Irish Catholics in Chicago that moved to Northwest Indiana, or they were in mm -hmm. you know South Chicago. So that's where the school came from. But there was no kissing the bishop's ring or any of that stuff. <laughs> oh, well, that's good, probably. That'd be bad for your, you know. Uh, so you went to La Lumiere in Laporte, Indiana, but eventually you graduated from Georgetown. I did not know this until today, by the way, that you graduated from Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business in 19... Well, it doesn't matter what year you graduated, but uh, you and Greg Giraldo, Paul Mercurio, I mean, these people, they're the people that graduated from Harvard Business School, Georgetown Business School, uh, from... Yeah, well, Paul Mercurio got a got a uh, law degree, a, a law degree from Georgetown, and I believe uh, he was first in his class. I was like, you guys waste a wow. lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I you know I was raised to. Uh, I mean, no one was in the entertainment industry at all, and my father was the first one to go to college, so I was raised to seek security, and security was wearing a tie to work. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it wasn't. You know, my parents didn't pick my major, but I was strongly encouraged to either do finance or accounting. You know, my right. dad was a small town banker, so I, I kind of did what everyone told me I was supposed to do um, through college and got a job and hated it. You know, was miserable. You know, but I didn't. I didn't know anyone that did stand up or anything like that. So. Um, it was really kind of uh, a situation where I was, you know, so miserable that I was waiting for someone to dare me to do it. So that kind of got me into it. Thank God. So how do you, at what age did you know, you know, people think I'm funny? Did, what age were you when you uh, kind of understood that other people found you amusing? I think in fifth grade, I... Um, uh, we moved 
and there was uh you know i i was born actually in illinois and we moved to the uh, the suburbs of of uh gary in indiana and so mm-hmm. it was much more of a uh an urban uh setting and i was kind of thrown into this environment where I was not the strongest kid. People were not really super nice, so I had to develop some, uh, and I was very pale, so I wanted, I was searching for an adjective before pale or whitey. And I had jokes from my previous school, so I would tell jokes that, uh, you know, uh, would kind of appease some of the, the bullies, you know, I guess. You know, that's fascinating because I went through the exact same experience growing up in North Minneapolis in a very urban neighborhood. You did find out that if you made people laugh, they wouldn't kill you. Exactly. Right? <laughs> it's, it just it made them melt. You're, you're all right. You know? Now, the one, the one rule they did have, though, in North Minneapolis, and I assume they did in Gary, Indiana as well, was you can make fun of anybody else but me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The big, the big, you yeah, couldn't make yeah. fun of the biggest, toughest guys. They just didn't like that. Yeah, it was it was strange. It was it was it was kind of a you know, it sounds ridiculous saying there's a culture shock from the northern suburbs of Chicago to, you know, uh, outside of Gary. But it was a big shock. You know, there was there was an adjustment, and it's weird. You know, there's. I mean, I also grew up in a big family where doing an impression of my I was the youngest, and doing an impression of my dad was. Um, you know, uh, you know, a source of. I kind of talk about it in the book. It was a, you know, I gained favor of my siblings. You know, because I was funny. I think. Oh yeah. Or, or that's how I remember it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah it might not have been true, but you know, I got to believe that, that that it's very, very true. That you do find out. Um, the first person that I realized that I could make laugh was my father, and that's the only time I ever saw him happy is when, when I made him laugh. I mean, honestly, so I understand exactly what you're saying, and I think your your memories are very solid in that your siblings, all of them, the, the five of them all older than you, if you could make them laugh, that was very important. Uh, so later on, Georgetown University, you graduate McDonough School of Business. And I, you know, I don't want to embarrass you here, but there's a certain amount of, of bravery when you have that that law degree. Excuse me, that uh, business degree in your hand. But you know what, Mr. Gaffigan, Dad, Dad Gaffigan, I'm gonna just set this aside for a minute because I want to be a stand-up comedian. I mean, that had to be a very that was a tough decision. I got to believe, right? Well, it was it was a tough decision, but it was also a. Um it was something that, uh, you know, I, I kept my, I, first of all, I switched to advertising and started okay. working in advertising in New York. And um, so that was a very risky thing anyway. Like, crazy Jimmy is working in advertising <laughs> now. And then um, I started doing stand-up, and uh, I was the youngest, and there was, definitely this attitude, you know, all my family's in the Midwest, and there was definitely this attitude of, well, he's weird, 
You know, there's nothing, you know, we live in a day where I think stand-up is far more acceptable. Yeah. But back then, it was it was a lot of mental patience. <laughs> a lot of people that, that were going on stage just in pursuit of attention. Or it was a form of their therapy. Well, or, uh, Bobby Slayton. No. It's still <laughs> hard like that. <laughs> what were you doing in advertising? Were you a copywriter? So I'm wondering if that's how you I was, started. I was an account comedy. executive, and then I switched to copywriting. Okay. So, um, but I, uh, so when I was doing stand-up, um, there was, and I would go home at Thanksgiving and stuff like that. I was definitely crazy Jim. You know, it's like, well, you know, Jim's doing this stand-up. And of course, you know, this is before Comedy Central and back when they had wooden microphones. You know? <laughs> yeah, the wooden microphones. I remember those days. Was, it was not an occupation. It was after the the initial comedy boom where, you know, people were, you know, there were comedy clubs and then they all closed down. So there was, um, it was it was a weird pursuit. It was, uh, I always said that it was the equivalent of like going into phonograph repairman. Yeah, makes sense. And it seems odd, but we're in a comedy boom right now where there's tons of people making a living doing it. But before it was a very odd thing. And I wasn't successful at it, too. So, oh, really? There was definitely, you know, people would say, You're a comedian, you should get on The Tonight Show. And I was like, Oh, really? I haven't really even thought of that. That's a brilliant (laughs) idea. So, make a call. People didn't understand. But then again, in my town in Indiana, they were they were impressed that I lived in Indiana. There was uh, that I lived in New York. There was definitely a uh, you live in New York. How'd you get that kind of attitude? So, so you were you went from from Indiana to, to New York to get in the in, in the advertising business. Yeah, so I, I went impressive. to Georgetown and I worked for a year oh, as a litigation consultant. And then I uh, moved to New York and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Got a job in advertising and then started doing stand-up. But I kept my day job for a long time. Like, I remember I was friends with Geraldo, and I had met Papa back then. And But those guys, I think, I mean, I don't know about Papa, but I know that Geraldo quit his law job. And a lot of my friends, you know, I would you know, work 60 hours a week and then do acting classes and then stand up after that. So I really had no life. So having five <laughs> kids is something I'm used to, you know. Oh, yeah, it's understandable. What, where did you work in New York? What the ad agency? I worked at Gray Advertising and then at Ogilvy and Mather. Mm-hmm. Big ones. Tiny, tiny shops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tiny shops all the way. I wonder if we ever work here, because back in, back in those days, we were living in New York on 20th Street and 2nd Avenue. I was just, those were back in the days when I was just doing voiceover. I could sleep until noon and then get up and work an hour a day. It was just, I don't know, I'm a fool. I'm still wine. <laughs> I'm still uh, wine, there, yes. No, there is something about, um, you know, I, I would love to have my own television show or something, but it would involve getting up every day. Like, I look at people that work on radio shows and I'm like, why? You know, it's great, you're done early, but, you know, 
wow, that seems hard in a way. <laughs> it's very, very hard. And you never get used to it, by the way. You never, ever get used to getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's, you'd think, oh, well, I'm adjusted to it. No, it, you just never do. And you yeah. never get tired of complaining about it either. Thanks, honey. Love you. <laughs> Sorry. I do love you, too. <laughs> so... <laughs> When you said no, you weren't you weren't successful at it uh, in the beginning. When did that then happen? That you said, you know, I'm. I think I'm. This is going to happen for me. Well, I would say that um, I I didn't really make a living doing stand up until pretty late. I like I had. Uh, you know, there's like generations. I mean, there's like classes or generations or groupings of comedians that start at the same time. So there was, you know, Papa and Geraldo and and uh, Judah Friedlander were in my class, and the class above us was mm-hmm. the star-studded one of Dave Attell and Louis C.K. and Mark Marin and all these these guys, these young bucks that were taking all these spots. So. There were of those two generations. Everyone in those two generations had done uh, a television show, a late night show like Letterman or Conan. Um, after we had been doing stand up for like say seven years, right. and and I I couldn't, and I you know I don't know what would happen. Some of it is I started in New York, and I think they remember me as being horrible, but. <laughs> I, could, I would audition and I would never get them. And so I, uh, you know, I I was very frustrated and angry, but I eventually got to, uh, you know, a piece with it where I was, okay, I'm just, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do stand-up and do commercials and, uh, you know, I might not get on TV doing stand-up, but I enjoy it. And so I... Uh, kind of felt comfortable with you know that I enjoyed what I did and of course once I made that decision then I got Letterman and I think when I did my first Letterman um, that's when I felt like I was a real comedian but that's also I did my first Letterman and they wanted to do a TV show with me like they came up to me after the show so it was pretty much uh, after that, I felt like I, I had some chance of making a living in the entertainment industry. That's a magnet. And now, of course, uh, you know, a few years later now, notice I threw it in just a few years later because, you know. <laughs> but in any case, you're, you're, a, you're a New York Times bestselling author. Dad is fat, the name of the book. You've done, how, many, uh, how many CDs, DVDs have you done now? Well, I did a couple myself, but uh, mm-hmm. with my wife. But uh, I guess four specials and uh, CDs, so which is fun, you know. It's it's it's. I mean, I love touring, doing stand up, and I'm doing a book tour, which is a really fun. That's really fun too. But uh, it's weird. I remember Geraldo saying that he wanted to be a headliner in comedy clubs, and I remember thinking, I just want to, you know do a spot on Letterman and maybe be a writer on Letterman at the time. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm well beyond what I wanted to do. Now, where did you meet Jeannie? I met her at a Korean deli in our neighborhood. Um, I lived on one block and she lived on the one below it. And there was like a Korean deli in between and I met her and 
I jokingly said to her, oh, we're going to get married. And then on the second date, I jokingly said that we were going to have six kids. So <laughs> I might do another one. So. There might be one more, you think? <laughs> yeah, I don't. well, I don't know. She's... She's from a big family, and she's, you know, I'm Catholic, but she's like a Shiite Catholic. (laughs) But she's, you know, she's from Milwaukee, so we had that Midwestern kind of connection. And, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I'm very lucky. Well, see, I feel the same way, and that's why it fascinates me, uh, you talking about, you know, how much you love your... Because uh, if people don't know this, well, you've got like 1.6 million followers on Twitter, so I'm assuming that most people know this, but you describe yourself on uh, on your Twitter page as married to a hot wife, father of five, and then eventually you do get to yourself. But I really admire that about you. You talk about your wife and your children first, and then eventually, even though it's your Twitter page, you get around to talking about yourself. Oh, well, thanks. I, I don't know. You know, it's, well, you know, I mean, I think being a, a father has really opened me up to, uh, it's, I kind of talk about it in the book, it's like you can't really be that self-centered when there's a screaming baby at two in the morning. You know? <laughs> Particularly when your wife is breastfeeding another baby. You can't be like, all right, you got to breastfeed and deal with that other one. You know? Yeah. You got to yeah. suck it up. And so, uh, <laughs> But, you know, because that's the opposite of being a comedian. I think, you know, comedian is, you know, you're, there's this, um, you're supposed to be introspective. You're supposed to kind of uh, take things personally and kind of like, what is your thought on this? So being a family, really, being in a part of a family has really kind of opened up my point of view. And I jokingly say, you know, uh, having five, each of my kids has made me a better man and Based on that, I only need another 34 to be a decent guy. <laughs> be a decent human being at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know, one thing I did, I thought of you uh, today um, because there was a, a restaurant. I don't know if you know about this or not, but there there's a restaurant in San Francisco, and the name of that restaurant is Bacon Bacon. That's the oh, name yeah. of it. I think you know I what? heard about this. Didn't they close it down or something like that? Yes, and I would love to hear your take on why they closed the restaurant down because I think it's hilarious. Was, was it too much? Was it too much bacon odor or something like That's that? That's exactly right. The people said we want that shut down because bacon bacon smells like bacon. <laughs> it's you know it's amazing. San Francisco is amazing, right? Because yeah. it's yeah. the most liberal fascist city in the world, right? <laughs> They're the place that that went after the Happy Meal, right? Yes. And there is something about, you know, they're trying to legislate behavior, which is what, you know, we as kind of open-minded people realize that, you know, you know, people can say that gay people shouldn't be together, but you can't legislate behavior. And so no. they're doing the same thing that, they're fighting against. I don't know. It's very odd. Yeah, I'm uh, running for senator. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably win. I'll tell you. Do you do you, uh, do you get back to Indiana very often? Do you, do you still, as you said, well, you said you had family in the Midwest. Are, are most of them yeah. still in Indiana? Yeah, my brother's in uh, my hometown, and uh, he has uh, five kids. But I'm, I go back. I would say maybe twice a year for visiting family or doing a show in the area or. You know, I'm doing a big bus tour uh, this, this, you know, June, so I'll probably 
swing by and say hi, hey, maybe, you know. Yeah, you're at Mall of America, I think, uh, June 12th or somewhere in mid-June. Yeah, I'm excited. I've never been to Mall of America. I know that it's, I mean, I've only heard about it, right? It's it's this enormous thing. It's either going to be, and I know that there was a comedy club in there. Is there still a comedy club in there? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. House of Comedy. Because people, comedians used to always say, well, you know, Minneapolis is a great audience. But Mall of America is a completely different thing. <laughs> but the interpretation is that it's horrible. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to doing that because, uh, I don't know, these book events are really fun. It's, it's well, I mean, I love it because I'm also sitting down. But yeah, well, absolutely. Crazy, man. I think the big question is, are there two Jim Gaffigans? Because this says you'll be in Des Moines, Iowa on June 14th, but you'll also be at the Mall of America Rotunda June 14th. Right, because there's, because the, I think the, the Des Moines one is at noon. Sweet. And then the uh, Mall of America is at like 7. Oh, it's a, it's a long day. It's getting around. Paddle Although, to the metal. <clears throat> I did notice uh, when, when I when I got up uh, this morning, I was just kind of you know checking Twitter, this that, and the other thing, see what's going on, say hello to people or whatever. And I did see a tweet came across from you that said you had signed seven hundred books, and oh. you, and uh, then you made the comment when you boarded your flight. The flight attendant said what? Oh, she said, "Oh, you again." <laughs> there's, you know, there's something about it. You know, you, you know, you travel a lot. When a flight attendant might say, "Oh, hey, wasn't I on the same flight?" But like this flight attendant was like, "Oh, you again." Like, <laughs> you've been on too many Delta or Northwest flights for my liking. You know. <laughs> and that's not to say that, I mean, she said it in kind of a sarcastic way. It's not like I had, you know, been a difficult patron or whatever. No. But, well, I can't see that happening anyway. I'm, yeah, you being difficult. I don't, I don't really see you being difficult. Well, I can be, I can, I'm sure I can be a pain in the ass. I mean, some of the Midwestern thing is that, uh, you know, I look so Midwestern that when I'm nudgy, people don't really notice, you know. They're like, hey, wait a minute, is this guy trying to trying to get us to do something so <laughs> will you travel with your family when you're promoting your book not not the book but we're traveling um we do this bus tour where i take all my kids and we're i think we're this time we're starting in san diego and we're doing a show a night and going up to seattle over i guess two two weeks two and a half weeks a bus and five kids. Fun. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting. They always have a babysitter come with us that yes. always seems to quit the day we get back to <laughs> <laughs> Don't call me, don't We've write. We've done it before. <laughs> what are the age ranges of your children? Well, now nine, seven, four, um, and <laughs> almost two, and seven months. Wow! Oh. And, and by the way, changing the, the ages—I get in trouble. So, like, you know, like I'll, I'll be on TV and I'll say right, my son's five months old, and Jeannie will be like, "He's seven months old." I'm like, I can't even—I don't even—you know—I can't figure this stuff out. I know he's a boy. Are any of them showing the sense of humor that are that's similar to yours? Yeah, I think there's definitely. Uh, uh, it's weird being a dad that's also a comedian because 
the uh, behavior you're not supposed to have in school is, well, you know, your dad, it's like that. It's like, don't talk in class. It's like, well, that's what my dad does all morning, right? <laughs> so it's, right. there's something about, it's where I think that they're so young, I don't know what. All right, I got, you know what, you guys, I got to go because I'm holding up dinner. Oh, God. Oh, wow. <laughs> we don't want that happening with five children. <laughs> no question about you. But is that all right? I, you know, I, I think oh, God, I, they said that it was ending at 530, but I don't want to. Oh, God, it. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. Is to that all right? Absolutely. You're, you're the best in the business. We look forward to, to having you in town on June 14th at the Mall. And by the way, let's, let me say very quickly that uh, Rick Bronson's House of Comedy at the Mall of America, since Rick took over and opened his club out at the Mall of America, it is a tremendous club. So yes. uh, just being at the yeah, Mall please, of America. That's, that's a reference from 15 years ago. No, no, absolutely. No question. <laughs> Sorry to hold up your dinner, Mr. Gaffigan. Comedy club by that's I, sure. I look forward to seeing you in a month. Okay, thanks, buddy. Appreciate thanks, it. Nice meeting you guys. Yeah, you thanks. too. Nice to meet you. Bye. Okay, take care. Thank you. Jim Gaffigan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we only held him 20 minutes too long. <laughs> Wonder what's for dinner. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Let's go sunning. It's so good for you. Let's go sunning. Need the sky of blue. That was Jim Gaffigan on the best of. But we're not done yet. I mean, we got nothing but time here, right? Coming up next, closing out the show. One of the all-time great stories told on the podcast from episode 677, Bert Kreischer and the Machine. Next. When nature's given happiness to everyone, so let's go sunny. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a dream come true. Bert Kreischer with beer just sitting just to my left of the studio. So do you want to hear my invention now? I want to hear your invention, was, and then we're going to talk about the machine. It was called the Snorlocker. And so what it was... Okay. So I snore, and my wife can't sleep. So what it was yes. was a uh, box made out of, like, pillow, but soundproofing material, like these walls, Baffling that she could place there. over my face. Like so when I started snoring, I, you couldn't... It, well, yeah. yeah. There was, I, I had worked all the kinks out. The <laughs> asphyxiation part, yeah. you hadn't worked that out? Yeah. <laughs> I had, like, a... Yeah. Basically, basically, what I was trying to do is soundproof my side of the bed. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, so I haven't really figured it out. I have a few inventions that I haven't really... Worked out the kinks. One of them was urinal men. Yeah. Urinal men? What so, is yeah. that? I heard yeah. you the first time. Tell us more. <laughs> it's like it's like something this size that is a bust of a famous person. And you place it and it clicks right over those urinal mints, those little cages. <laughs> but it's like Osama bin Laden and his mouth's open, like <laughs> so you peep in his mouth. Yeah. I thought That's that a I, good idea. I know, but then everyone's like yeah, but who's going to want those? I go, bars. Everybody. Every bar Patrice O'Neill, Patrice O'Neill and I uh, and Rich Voss went, did uh, did Edinburgh Festival together. The wait, wait, let me ask you just one question. Sure. You and Rich Voss together. Me, Rich Voss, and Patrice. And Patrice. Sharing oh a house. Did anybody ever together. shut up? Oh, God. Uh, no one ever shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so uh, I... I came up with the idea when we were there, we had these flyers. And, and so in Scotland, what I'd do is I'd put our flyers on in the urinal. I'd place them, like, on the wall. They were, like, this full stand-up urinals. Yeah. And I'd place them in the wall, like, five across. So anytime you went to the bathroom, you would see us. And Patrice got so mad at me. He goes, he goes, I don't, I didn't grow up like you. I can't have people just peeing on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
gotta take that out. You gotta take. I'm doing a horrible. Did you Patrice. grow up like that? No, but I don't. But I'm not. The, I don't have a thing about respect. Oh. Like I don't have like Patrice had a thing about that he thought that was disrespectful. Oh. I don't like we grew up very different. I, I don't yeah. care. Yeah. You can disrespect my mom in front of me, and I don't, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go. Okay. Oh, you love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't hurt me. Like you know. Right, exactly. Well, I understand exactly. But you did do a good uh, interview today with Jim Gaffigan. Uh, you were really good at it. I don't remember. I think it was you. I think I just no, giggled. He was talking to you, asking you if you, where you were appearing. And I told him Rick Bronson's House Comedy tonight, yeah. and tomorrow night, and Sunday as well. And then uh, you started talking about uh, comedy. Yeah. No, it was good. I liked it. Do you know Jay Thomas? Yeah, I know Jay Thomas. Jay's going to be on with us in 10 minutes. You want to interview him, too? I, I, I told the machine story to Jay. I told the machine <laughs> well, story to Jay. he tell you the Lone Ranger story, then. I, Jay Thomas is a fascinating dude. He is a fascinating I, I've guy. done his... Uh, well, anytime he does any type of tour, he gets put in on it. And, and, and the first time he did it, you're like, I know that name. I know that name. Yeah. And right, then you're like, right. oh, I know him from Stern. And I know him from Cheers. You're like, yeah, shut he's up. Been right. a million he's been in things. a million things. Yeah. He's in Ray Donovan now. My buddy's in Ray Donovan. Yeah, Jay Thomas is fascinating. Which buddy? Uh, Omar, black dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's my, my our, our daughters are best friends. I will not kidding you. And he's the boxer, right? I made him say the N-word for me in my audiobook Because <laughs> I wrote the N-word, and I was like, I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even realize I wrote it. I just wrote it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know I wrote it, but I didn't, in reading the book, I didn't, I didn't like think, like, oh, I'm going to have to read this out loud. And I can't do that. I can't be on that side of history, like, right. on the fence. Because, you know, 100 years from now, everyone's going to go, oh, my God, that. He said that right. forever. So I called up Omar and I was like, hey, man, can you do me a favor? He's like, what? And I was like, I'm reading my audiobook. Will you help me out? He's like, sure thing, brother. Came over and I go, great, just read this word for me. <laughs> so it's your voice and spoken then just for his, it's that one by a black man. So it's okay. And then he does, he reads it. the sentence and I go, and he read it like a black dude. And I go, yeah, but a white guy said it. Can you read it in a white guy's voice? And he's like, you want me to say the N word like a white guy? I go, kind <laughs> of. <laughs> if you can do it. Yeah. Who's on the phone, Andy? Uh, Kristen. Oh, Kristen's with us. Good. Mm-hmm. Kristen Burt. Burt Kreischer's with us. We have two Burt's today. Kristen Burt and Burt Kreischer. Her name's Kristen Burt? Yep. yep. Seriously? Yep. Yep. B-U-R-T-T. Oh, nice. Kristen. Uh, Burt's in a room. Two Burt's in a room. <laughs> two Burt's in a room. Two Burt's woke up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, Kristen, you're about to hear uh, my son-in-law, our son-in-law, Dan, was making everyone watch The Machine... On was it on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. Dan had everybody watching it. My, the, the CFO of the, our company was watching it. Yeah. He made it watch it last night. Alex, you watched the machine last night. Yep, we so, did. So Dan is here to interview Bert about the machine. So that, this is. I say we do this. I say instead of me just going and wrote and telling it, mm-hmm. you, I feel like it's a true story. I'll tell you everything you need to know, and I'll show you pictures <laughs> on my Facebook of the people. Okay, I, I want to see. Dan could tell the story. Igor and probably. Sasha. I don't. I don't know if I have pictures of Igor and Sasha, but they might. I, I'll definitely show you a picture of my teacher. Oh, now, Kristen, yeah. do you know the machine story? No, I don't. Tell me. Okay, here we go. So, Kristen, when I was twenty-two, I got involved with the Russian mafia. Uh, I was going to school at Florida State. I wasn't a very good student. I signed up for a Russian class, thinking it was Spanish. This is what a bad <laughs> student I was. I sat through three classes before I realized I don't think this is Spanish. <laughs> right. So. Uh, I got up to leave. The teacher, I'm going to find her real quick. Okay. Stop it. The teacher, okay, this is her, Dan, who was hot. Oh, those are her kids. Sorry. <laughs> Super Interesting hot. taste, Super man. Hot. Super <laughs> bad. She was, she's eight. This is her right here, the blonde, right? 
That's not how I pictured her. Right? Really? No. Are you serious? Not what did all. you picture? She's o- from Ohio. Older for sure, but I assume young because she was trying to get her master's degree. She's my. She was a little bit older than me. Okay. This is recent. This is like the other day. She stopped me. And by the way, she became ended up becoming my friend. She stopped me. She goes, don't go anywhere. I need 14 kids to teach this class. You need to, you, I need to teach this class in order to get my master's. So if you sit back down, you don't have to do anything, and I'll give you a C. I was like, stress votes you, bitches. I'm back. <laughs> so, so I took Russian one, two, three, and four. Never learned a word. Think about what I just said. I took two years of a language. <laughs> I was God. committed to this language. Nothing's absorbed. Nothing. Nothing. I knew I was going to see. Why would I want to learn? <laughs> I was. I literally. Why would I want to learn? Russian four was taught in Russian. Do you know what it's like to go to a class oh, and sit there like an immigrant at the DMV all day? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm looking for. I'm looking for pictures of our trip. I, they've got to be on her thing. And so uh, one day, so I get done Russian four. Same teacher pulls me aside. She goes, "Listen." We're taking a trip to Russia. If you go, you get a minor. I was like, wait, you know I can't a read, speak, write, or understand the language. And she's like, I'm well aware of that. She goes, doesn't matter. With the classes you've taken, you only need 15 hours to, or 30 hours to get a minor. I already have 15 hours. She goes, well, if you go, you're taking a whole 15 hours of classes, you'll get a minor. And I was like, are you serious? I was so confused. I was like, let's go to Russia and bang some minors. So... <laughs> So we go to Russia in 1995. This is when the mob ran everything. And they told us that our very first night. They sat the whole class down. Actually, actually, I like doing this. So in all honesty, they told the whole class that night what was going down. I found out on the flight from Atlanta to Prague. And the flight from Atlanta to Prague, my teacher, same woman, just a couple years older than me, came back to my seat, sat down next to me, undid her pants, and says, I need to show you something. I'm like, this is how that works. (laughs) She shows me roughly, and I'm guesstimating, about 10 grand in American cash in a fanny pack hidden inside her jeans. She said, I'm freaking out. The head of the Russian department asked us all to smuggle in money because we're paying off the mafia to keep us safe. And I was like, this trip just got awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That is the true, that is exactly how it happened. What year was this? 1995. 1995. When were you in Russia? Uh, Five years ago. Yeah. So so after after communism fell and they tried to bring in capitalism, that obviously there were only a few people that were running capitalism in that country during communism. Those were the black market mafia guys. So once that opened up, they were like, oh, we got this. We lock it down. And the mob ran everything. And they told us that. They're like, we've paid them off to keep you safe. We gave us two young gangsters. The word for that Russian is banditi. <laughs> two young, two young gangsters. Two Igor and Sasha. And they go, they're going to live with you. They had a room on our floor. They're going to walk us to class every morning. After class, they're going to walk us back from class. They're going to take us on field trips. They're going to do everything with us. Do not speak to them. They're in the mafia. <laughs> do not look at them. Do not engage them. Do not. And I was like, uh, they're going to be my best friends ever. <laughs> so first night, Igor is sitting Igor's room happened to be right next to mine and across the hall from that chick I showed you. First night, I went over to Igor's room with a bottle of vodka and a six-pack of Baltica and a sentence planned. I was going to say, we can curse on here, right? Yeah. Do whatever you want. I was going to say, See, you do know some Russian. No, I worked on that all day. All day. (laughs) (laughs) And I've said this sentence that I just said to you maybe a hundred thousand times. I was going to say, hello, my name is Bert. It's very nice to meet you. Yadabotayukoshka means I work pussy, right? Uh, well, k- kind of. It really means I work with cats. So, <laughs> so I figured they get it. I figured they get it if I get enough of this. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter because yeah. the second the door opens and I'm face to face with a real Russian gangster. Like, you, no one's seen Eastern Promises yet, but I'm looking at a version of that that is just tattoos, wife beater, track pants, cigarette, gray, greasy black hair, okay. and he just stares at me with that gray slate communist face and he just goes <laughs> like just like de- just by the way I'm a frat boy 
Okay? Yeah. I'm wearing cargo shorts, a fanny pack, and a collared shirt. And I'm sitting there like the Easter bunny. And he just looks at me just like just like the heat miser. Stole. I panicked and everything I planned on saying flooded out of my head. And all I said to him in Russian in his doorway was, I am the machine. Now, now let, by the way, let's break this story down. I love this part. I love doing this more than I like telling it on stage. So what I was trying to say was Yamashina, which means... I am the man. But what I said is uh, Yamashinu, which means I am the machine, which is there's no slang in Russia. So I just stood in the, in the store and went, I'm the machine. And he went, okay. <laughs> I'm the ma-. And I just kept saying, that's all I knew how to say. And he's like, come in and tell my friends, bring me a room full of nine Russian gangsters drinking and smoking. And he goes, stop. Listen to what he has to say. And I just looked at him and went, I'm the machine. <laughs> they look at each other, look at me, and they're like, fuck it. He's the machine. <laughs> And that's all I said to them all night long. All I knew how to say was, I'm the machine! And I fuck cats. So, so one day, we go to my... Now, Igor and I were best friends. Once again, to sidebar. Igor and I were best friends. We did a lot together. And you got to remember, he ran whatever we wanted to do. So if we went to the Hermitage to go to the museum, Igor would just look at the class and go, not the machine, he drinks with me. And the whole class would be like, they couldn't say anything. Like, yeah. All right, see ya. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, 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 we did everything. We ran a pool hall scam. We stole a boat. And then one day, we go to, we go to Moscow, and Igor says to me, I can't go. I said, why not? He goes, different mafia runs train, different mafia runs Moscow. But don't worry. I talked to banditi. They have new, new banditi on train, new banditi in Moscow. And he goes, I set it up. They'll take care of you. Jeez. Sure enough, introduced me to my two new gangsters, Igor and Igor. And he says to <laughs> Igor, Igor. I wish I had a fucking joke for that, but, but oh, I don't. Every time I say God. it, I go, there's something there. I don't know what it is. Uh, and he says to him, he goes, guys, this is the machine. If the machine, if you give the machine vodka, you'll have a great time. <laughs> and the bigger the two Igors has this look like a kid on Christmas. He's like, oh, I can't wait to play with the machine. <laughs> I mean, it's almost scary. He grabs me like in a Bugs Bunny cartoon, like grabs me like Bugs Bunny, just brings me in the first class cabin on the train. My whole class goes to coach. I'm in first class. Booze, food, and here's the real gangster part. Second, the train starts moving. Everyone that works on the train comes in to pay their respects. The the, by the way, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm about to say to you, oh I, listen to what I said. I, right now, I swear on my children, what I'm about to say is true. Okay? okay. Ready, Kristen? The, contu- the conductor walked in. The, I'm like, oh, we're in trouble. Looks at me, rips off the stars and stripes to his uniform, places him on my lap, and goes, this is a present for the machine. <laughs> I'm 22 years old. And, and he's looking at these gangsters and he's saying, it would be an honor to do a shot of vodka with a machine. And I'm thinking, what the, these stories might have gotten out of control. What do they Maybe. think I do? So we drink all the booze and, and, and I'm like, I'm feeling it. And Big Ewer stands up and he goes, machine, we go to the bar cart to get more vodka. I'm like, fuck it, I'm in the mob. I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> we roll to the bar cart like... Uh, I gotta think of the right analogy. It's just it's like a it's like a big dick in a locker room. You ever seen that? And you're like, oh, okay, someone's here. So <laughs> someone's here. So uh, <laughs> Igor says to me in the doorway, very very casually and in Russian, mind you. He goes, machine, go behind the bar and grab bread. And I understood him. I didn't understand all of it, but I understood the majority of what he said. And I went, oh my god, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning lang- the language my way, not through flashcards and textbooks, right. but by joining the mafia. So I'm behind the bar like, Igor, I know what you said. He's like, go for you, machine. <laughs> and the machine find cheese. And I was like, Sir, cheese, I got it. Give me another word. He's like, I'm a grab vodka. I was like, I already know that one. Give me another one. He's like, grab the money. I'm like, huh? Grab the money. And I realized at that instant, we're robbing the bar cart. <laughs> 
and I'm the one doing it hooked on phonics style. Oh, my God. By the way, small detail sidebar, I remember the bartender, bartender was not making eye contact with me and was standing up against the wall just looking off to the right. He and saw I, nothing. I was, and he, no one saw anything. And Igor's going through everyone's pockets. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So I just grabbed the money. I go grab the money. We walk out. Go back to our first class cabin, and within like five minutes, the head chaperone of this trip, not this, not my teacher, but the head chaperone of this trip who did not speak Russian. She was an English teacher. She comes into my first class cabin and losing her mind with that kind of like teacher uh, liberal arts rage, you know, like, this is over. You're coming with me right now. And Big Igor just smiles at me, takes a big sip of vodka. Spits it in her eyes and goes, no one talks to the machine like that. Oh, God. <laughs> Silence. God. S- shuts the door, looks at me, and he goes, fuck that bitch. This is Russia. <laughs> Don't worry, machine. When it gets dark, we have good time. I'm like, yeah. what are we doing when it gets dark? <laughs> Reaches into his pocket, pulls out a ring of keys, and he goes, we're robbing the whole train. Oh, and now, listen. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I robbed him. So, <laughs> I ro- I, well, look, you kind of had to. Look, it's like at that moment, you're like one of two people. You're like the guy that goes, not me, I'm going to go work on my verbs. Or you're like, let's rob some. D-. You know, I, I thought I'd be the good guy, but apparently in the moment when push comes to shove, I'm the guy that's like, all right, let's start with my class. So, <laughs> we robbed them first, and then we robbed the rest of the train. And then, and then, uh, and then and we drank. And we drank all night long, pulled into Moscow, so hammered. Six in the morning, overnight train trip. Yeah. We robbed them while they were sleeping, if that makes it any better. Hey, and if it's any better, by the way, we robbed myself, too, because my bag was with them. We stole my stuff out of my bag also. So, not that that makes it better. But Wait, you kind of got it back, maybe. No, no I did not. It was a pocket knife my dad gave me to travel through Europe with, and I was really heartbroken. Uh, and my camera. And so I didn't, now I didn't have a camera to go through Europe with. Well, it, whatever. It's uh, Anyway. Pulled to Moscow, 6 a.m., hammered. I mean... Like, beyond hammered. Maybe top five drunkest I've ever been in my life. Door opens, trains up, stopped. Door opens, sun's up. Same teacher, not mad, looks at me and goes, uh, smiling. I want you to know they've alerted the police. And I look out, and there's t- two cops talking to my whole class on the platform. They're, all my classes are in the pajamas, the whole class. They're upset. They've been robbed. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Not, they've, apparently, they've never heard snitches get stitches. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and Big Igor is completely unfazed, completely unfazed. Oh. Grabs a bottle of vodka, lights a cigarette, says, don't worry, I, I take care of this. Goes out to the cop and starts yelling, fuck you, we, like pointing to me, we, fuck you in the mouth. I'm like, he's like, we, I'm like, stop with the we shit. Now, now the cop is just staring at me, like at, over his scowling, and I hear him bark out, which I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound like, you're okay, stay there. I walk to the cop, who's standing in front of the class I just robbed. Next to the gangster, I robbed them with. And all I'm thinking is, this isn't how I planned on spending my second junior year. Mm. I get like five steps from the cop, and he gets impatient, takes two big-ass steps, grabs me tight by the arm, spins me away from my class, away from Igor, pulls me right into his face, and he goes, So, I understand you're the machine. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight you party with us. I was like, wait, I'm not in trouble? And he gets so close to me, I can smell his morning cigarette, and he goes, No. Fuck that bitch. This is Russia. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. That was the funnest I've ever told that story. That is phenomenal. The roads are the dustiest. The winds are the gustiest. The gates are the rustiest. The The length of these clips is expanding exponentially on this special quarantine edition. Simpler times of the best of the Tom Bernard podcast. Great clips this week. 
Welcome, Joey Diaz, Jim Gaffigan, and the Machine Burt Kreischer. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll be here for you next week. Don't know why I left the homestead. I really must confess. I'm a weary exile singing my song. Oh.